and welcome to Are We Gundam or Are We Isekai? The internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that's so close to talking about Destiny again we can taste it. My name is Jeremy. Um, I guess we're on the run from the end of Build Divers. I'm Tyler. My name is Zach. Um, This week we are watching episode 21 of Gundam Build Divers, Your Feelings, which feels like a real Gundam show for maybe the first time in this series history. I was going to say that I didn't hate this one. It had like characters making choices based on their character and forward momentum from the last episode and ended on a cliffhanger. Well, I mean, it does still have the problem of stakes, although it did have a pretty cool fight in here. I feel like the stakes are kind of established in this episode fairly fine. Well, I more of was thinking of the fight. I could only think, you know, the fight would matter more if it was actually the the machines getting damaged instead of all right, take 20 minutes and it's going to be back to normal. Sure, because then Riku has to deal with not having his machine, if, even if he wins, but it gets super beat up. That's true, but I feel like that fight has genuine emotional stakes. For maybe the first time in the entire show. Ogre's opinion of Riku is genuinely at stake there. Whether or not that's something Riku values or can use is up for debate, but if he loses that fight, it has a different impact than if he wins that fight, even if the mecha are not at stake in any way. That's fair. Yeah, I also don't hate this episode. It is actually, I think, a pretty breezy watch. I think in large part because there's a lot of fight in it. There's not actually that much. I mean, there's some, but like, I feel like a lot of the episode is like characters stating their motivations and having dialogue at each other. There's also a fair amount of that. Some of it is tense-ish. I did have a moment watching this where I was like, why don't you use the thing you specifically installed for this situation? All right, so shall we just go ahead and get to it then? We're watching episode 21, Your Feelings. You can watch along if you want on YouTube or Crunchyroll or Funimation. Still don't really recommend that you do, but you can. As we just discussed, this episode may or may not be worth the payoff. It's not. Again, it's an episode that would be far better if they'd done their homework earlier. Yeah, but there's nothing these episodes going forward can do about that. So we begin where we ended last week with the GM telling everybody that the bugs are because of an L-diver who is not a real person and you should not feel bad about turning her into the government. Despite the adorable photo that they chose. Well, of course they had to choose an adorable photo. What else would they use? She only has adorable photos. I like how they show during this whole thing the champ is standing in a darkened room. Oh yeah, he's got a brood to properly figure out whose side he's on. So we see the build divers see this announcement, and we get some reactions. Maggie is doing the Riku, by which I mean saying exactly what was just (laughs) said, whereas Shariar and Tiger Wolf are also clearly conflicted about the fact that she's the source of the bugs. But a bunch of randers are like, we just need her to disappear and die. She's not a real human. This reminded me of the lottery. (laughs) How so? The book, the lottery, or the uh, short story, the lottery. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the gambling activity. I did not hear the italics in your voice. The GM goes on to say, yeah, if she's not murdered, this entire game will collapse. So please turn her in. That's what they said last time around. But at the same time, I can't help but still think, you know, couldn't you do something else? To be fair, some other characters will be like, hey, couldn't we do something else this very episode? But Zach, that sounds like work. And clearly these GMs are looking for the opposite of work, given their attitude towards the whole break decal issue. Yeah, exactly. The answer to that was, I don't know if the champion get a bunch of people and have him go into a Death Star trap. And the answer to this is, I don't know, murder a little girl? That seems like the easiest path. (laughs) Well, she's just a collection of ones and zeros anyway. Speaking of, we see Sarah running through the woods, telling Maul not to follow her, because she's concerned that if she's deleted, her pet will also get deleted. Well, it's a reasonable thought. 
if they're just going to purge all data, will they delete all the people's accounts that know her? No, I would not think so, nor do I think that would be necessary. Although I suppose they could clap your hands uh, if you believe her back into existence in a story like this. I was going to say, do we think that her inventory is all deleted, which is reasonable? Or do we think that when she's deleted, she explodes like a loot pinata and all of the items just come flying out of her? I think that one, you might actually pick up some like miniature in-game gunplay models that you can use to decorate your force nest. And <laughs> Oh, she's got a loot table is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I was imagining more a Diablo situation where just all her items pop on the ground in an explosion and everyone free-for-all tries to grab them. So we cut to a few days later, which is narrated to us. I mean, that makes sense because like, how else would you show the passage of time on a hard break like that? We see the build divers looking for her in various places, but not finding her. They even went to the place where she and Riku first met and the field of flowers that Zack thought she might go to, but she's not in either of those. It turns out she's actually just in that forest, just beyond the field of flowers. <laughs> Riku is brooding in class, somewhat understandably, but to show his despair, he is called on in class by his teacher, and he admits he wasn't paying attention and is publicly humiliated, because that's how you teach students. That's how they always show that kind of a thing. It's one of those tropes. Whenever the main character is brooding, he's always called on in class when he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> This seems weird to me because I feel like we have not seen them in class forever to the point where like, I don't know what sort of student Riku is. I guess we were told he can't play GBN if his grades aren't good, so his grades must be good. But this doesn't make it seem like he's acting abnormally. This just, it feels weird that we're in class. Like Riku being in class feels like the weird thing, even though obviously he has been this entire time. I don't think we've actually seen them actually in class ever. We have once because he and Yuki definitely had a chat about their gunplay in class once. But it's been a long-ass time. So Doji, because he's a good human being now, calls Yuki to make sure he's doing okay. Uh, and you can tell he's matured as a human being because his first words aren't, wow, Sarah is really an L-diver? He doesn't just repeat what everyone has been saying. He actually cares <laughs> about their emotional state. Well, it's also been a few days. And I, he actually says that if I see her, I'll contact you. Well, actually, uh, Re, uh, Yuki asks him to, but he says, I'll do that. But he is like, yeah, but what's your plan? And Yuki's like, um, cross that bridge when we burn it. Meanwhile, we see Ogre brooding over the fact that Riku has withdrawn from the matching battle, as was established last week. I love how kind of subtle that shot is, too. It only lingers on it for maybe a second. Yeah, but in the same way that Riku noticing Ogre was on the opposite side of the bracket from him. Yeah. So it's clear that he's upset that Riku is gone out of the battle. Or at least concerned about it. So cut to Sarah running frantically away from a bunch of the weird creepy guard machines which did make me wonder what happens if sarah dies in gbn that is an excellent question yeah could they just straight up kill her yeah like if she dies in the game does she die or does she just face a minor penalty like everyone else uh hard to say like it very well could be because she doesn't exist in the real world her account is kind of a funny one that if she dies in gbn that's just it it could be an exception but also, if we assume she works like any other player avatar, and there's no reason not to assume that, she would probably just respawn, and that would probably just be physics for her. <laughs> well, the thing is, at the end of this episode, they mention that people are protecting her. So at the very least, they are assuming that if she dies in GBN, she dies. See, I read protecting as from the administration, not like physical protection. The reason why I don't read it as administration, and we'll probably we'll have to get there when we actually get there, is because the administration is there. So Sarah screams that she doesn't want to disappear, and this all becomes a moot point because it's just a stress dream that Riki was having. I guess a nightmare. Spoilers! 
it's pretty obvious that's a dream because everything is echoey in a weird way. Yeah, they, they are not trying to hide it. But I did literally have the thought of like, are there stakes here? I'm like, I guess not because it's a dream. But were there have been stakes there? Does Riku think there are stakes there? Even if he doesn't, that's a fair nightmare to have. <laughs> I was legitimately surprised that he was waking up in his bedroom and not in the force nest. He's worried about his friend. That makes sense. So we cut to the Gundam base in the middle of the night, or rather Riku walking there, because after this nightmare, he's decided that he needs to go keep looking for Sarah, because clearly he's obsessed. I was going to say, I like how Riku's the only one who gets dressed in this scene, but we see he was actually just sleeping in his, like, sweatpants and sweatshirt, so never mind. So he specifically ran to here, which apparently the unicorn Gundam, when it's closed, doesn't have its lights and stuff on. The unicorn closes when the base closes. <laughs> we see that Yuki and Momo have also come, and, like, Yuki looks like he just got out of bed and walked here. Like, he was like, clothes? Why would I put those on? Uh, Momo is kind of the same way. Momo looks like she at least put a jacket on, though. Yeah, that's true. So apparently they were more worried about her than uh, Riku was, because they say uh, we were worried and we couldn't sleep. We saw uh, Riku actually wake up. I mean, arguably Riku couldn't sleep either, right? He got to sleep and immediately have a nightmare. They could be in the same situation, turn of phrase-wise. I like to imagine that Yuki and Momo had just been, like, texting all night about her, like, should we tell Riku? Nah, let's not tell Riku. And we also find out that uh, Maggie has been helping. Yeah. Them, like, just staying online the entire time trying to find Sarah. Same with Koichi, who presumably can just hang out at his house and log in. Well, I was specifically calling out Maggie because Maggie's not one of their teammates, whereas Ayame and uh, Koichi both are. And we've already seen them looking, so the fact that Maggie is looking is different. Yes, they have at least one ally in this. And Yuki's like, let's log in first thing tomorrow morning because they are closed and we can't break in. I will admit part of me thought that the way the scene was going to end up going was that uh, Nanami was going to let them in. Oh, that would have been cute. And Riku's like, I swear I'll rescue Sarah, but I do not have a plan for after that. Well, I mean, do you honestly think Riku is thinking any of this through? He's, the, he's a shonen protagonist. They never think that kind of thing through. Yeah, I was going to say he can just shonen at it. He literally says this. He is acknowledging that he does not have a plan, which is kind of different. That's definitely a new for a shonen protagonist, acknowledging they don't have a plan. Well, usually they they might acknowledge that they don't have a plan, but they're like, it'll be fine because we're the protagonists, more or less. So cut to the GM's weird programming garden. I don't think we've ever described this place before, even though we've cut here many times. It's like two jelly donuts stacked on top of each other. They're all like typing at digital laptop screens, but in like this garden where they're all standing while a Gundam watches them. It looks like they're on the, like, roof garden of a Namekian house out of Dragon yes. Ball. <laughs> That's a perfect explanation. That's floating in space protected by a force field. Like, you can see they have, like, Gundam catapult launchers coming out of it. Well, they gotta send out those GM bots somehow. So, the GM's like, you still haven't found the L-Diver? And they're like, the target keeps writing her ID somehow, so it's difficult to track her. And the GM starts to wonder if the L-Diver's doing it or if someone's helping her. Then he says the obvious thing. You know, like a manager does. And they're like, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, boss. Thanks. I do love this next bit where he's like, how's the update patch coming along? And they're like, oh, it'll take a week. You know, and he's like, do it in five days. Like he's the captain of a battleship. I could only think in that case, like, you don't want to rush programming like that, because if you rush that kind of programming, you're going to create all kinds of other problems. What if we accidentally make a breaker decal? 
you create a bug where you, anytime you spawn in, you see a Gundam flying around. It's just T-posing all over the place. See, the great thing about this plan, though, Zach, there are lots of little girls you can just kill to fix bugs, if that's how it works. <laughs> oh, but that's bad, Jeremy. They give a yes, sir. Again, like they are manning a battleship. And a screen comes up, and the GM kind of gives it a side eye before being like, I'm going to go out. I'll leave you all in charge. I guess he's leaving someone specific in charge, but we don't know who it is because he just says you. I like to imagine they then just fight over who he meant. And then they uh, they jump to Mustafar. Yes, where Anakin Birdwalker has called him for a duel. <laughs> I like that he's like, uh, why would you call me now? Is it important business you never call? Whereas like, you would think that he would not be irritated by this. You think he would be like, oh, hey, this might be helpful. I don't know why I found this so funny. I love the fact that her name is Miss Tori. I wonder if her avatar is a bird because of that or if that's her username. Is this an Akira Toriyama situation? I just got a laugh out of it because it sounds like mystery. Oh. Tori means bird. Oh. Oh, okay. That that makes more sense. Like, I, I knew what... I, I knew the fact... The mystery thing probably wasn't it. It just made me laugh that it sounded like that. Fair. Maybe also something they were going for. The Japanese do love their puns, especially when they work in English. I love how she has a throne for herself over this fireball. And she's like, is the administration really going to murder a little girl that is the first sentient AI we've ever created? And he's like, yeah, of course. It's inconveniencing the player base, Jeremy. Yeah, you know, and uh, games always do whatever they can to make sure that doesn't happen. To be fair, they usually do try. and But they just usually take the easiest, laziest way out. So, yeah, very realistic. And the bird is like, hey, you know that life created by GEN? We're witnessing the birth of a new life form. This is going to be in history books, bro. And he's like, not if I have anything to say about it. This is a comment I don't really understand. She says, would you really stifle human evolution? And I'm like, it's... It's AI. It's not human evolution. I mean, do you consider the creation of, like, Siri or smartphones to be human evolution? Because I think some people would. I think that's a separate debate, but I think it's one that can literally be had. It's also using evolution incorrectly, but that's everyone's favorite thing to do. It's technical progress, but it's not evolution. I mean, if you wanted to get closer to evolution, it would be the invention of penicillin. Zach, have you ever heard someone use the word evolution literally or correctly? Has it ever happened outside of learning about Charles Darwin? I think the only time I've ever really heard people use evolution was either in science class or uh, Pokemon. Yeah, I feel like it always (laughs) gets used metaphorically because of Pokemon to just mean advancement. Like, the evolution of the MMO genre is here. I feel like that's a thing you hear all the time. The Charizard of the MMO genre. (laughs) And I do love you just like, uh, I don't consider her a living being, so that makes it much easier to murder her, actually. And he says that thing is a bug. It can be both. That is a false dichotomy. But it is a believable false dichotomy. I could very easily believe somebody using that phrase. Yeah, so can I. It's just weird to me how heel this guy is going in this series, which has tried to protect everyone for so long. Well, you know the reason for that. It's because nobody likes moderators. (laughs) They're like lawyers for video games. Uh, And Tori is like, hey, if you'd met her, I think you would think differently. Like, she is a person. She's not just a chatbot. Although she does describe what I consider to be fairly mechanical reactions. She's like, she meets all the qualifications for Turing Machine. Laugh when happy, cry when sad. But the thing is, I understand the logic there. It's like, she has emotions. A Turing Machine doesn't necessarily have emotions. If something can effectively fake them, is that meaningfully different? Ooh, can we spend the next half hour talking about pea zombies? I don't think we have the time for that. (laughs) 
and also, like we said, this show is not interested in that. It's bringing up all these very interesting questions, but it's not super interested in answering them. It's like, also, she made human friends. So, like, you know how we don't murder people because their friends and family will get mad? Seems like a reasonable reason not to murder her. That's an element that that series never touches on. What, the idea that people would come for revenge if she was murdered? Yeah. I mean, what's Riku going to do? He's 14, but also, yeah. Jeremy, how many other Gundam protagonists are right in that age okay, gra- that's age fair. bracket? <laughs> I'm just saying this guy ain't no Kira Yamato. He's not going to reprogram an OS to extract revenge murder. Also, I feel like most Gundam protagonists are not very motivated at the start. Not to get involved and kill things. Although that is also a good example as to why they're not usually very motivated. So the GM's like, hey, it's my job to protect GBN. It's access to nearly 20 million people. We have 20 million subscribers, which is an interesting number for the most popular game in the world. Right. WoW peaked at 12 million. So from that metric, they're doing pretty well. How many of these are Smurf accounts, you think? Sure, but that would have been true for WoW as well. And it seems like GBN has some sort of social security identification that it's harder to have a Smurf account. That's me guessing. Well, that makes sense because I think a lot of the Eastern MMOs and stuff have stuff like that attached to them. I I know Korea does. And you have people using their grandmother's identification numbers to create Smurf accounts so it still happens. But there's less of mm-hmm. it. As a different uh, data point, though, speaking of Korea, League of Legends has peaked at 50 million active users on a day. So by that metric, not the most popular game in the world. Damn. Although, again, that one is definitely a how many of those are Smurfs, because League doesn't really, except in South Korea, yeah, have that lock it's to, to individuals. Also, but the, the barrier is very low. It does seem like uh, this is probably free to play. I was going to say, do we think GBN is free to play? Because I kind of do too. They make their money off of Gunpla sales and those cool headset rigs. I believe that GBN itself is probably free to like log into and play, especially because like it's at the Gundam base. You, although at the Gundam base to play on their systems, you might have to pay a fee, but you're not paying for your account. My real question is, does Bandai own it? Like, is it basically marketing for Gunpla? Is that part of the money making? Like, how does GBN make money if it's free to play? Because it doesn't seem to have microtransactions. It definitely seems to have microtransactions. There's all sorts of random loot and cosmetics you can buy. I would say it's probably like a marketing thing for Gunpla. Get people to buy more Gunpla. That's what I think, too. And also, they probably make money off selling things like the Gundam base has to places. And so they make money not off the players, but off the managers of those places. And probably make some money off the rigs they sell, like, to Koichi. But yeah, I, I also think that. Uh, not super important, but just made me think about it. So 20 million, not bad. Not the most popular game in the world, but not bad. I wonder if they were using, if they were just using Japanese numbers, if that would also qualify it as that. Yeah, if it's 20 million people in Japan, that's gigantic. But I don't think they are. I think this is supposed to be worldwide numbers. I kind of wonder if they just Googled WoW's Peak and doubled it. It's possible. When, when was this out again? 2018, I think. So the GM's argument is, hey, she's making my job hard. And also the administration has consensus decided that we're going to murder her and the decision will not be overturned. Oh, yeah, because businessmen are the best example for making decisions when it comes to life and death. The programmer is like, man, is it even worth maintaining this world if you have to take lives to do it? A valid question when you consider this is a video game. She says, is it worthwhile to maintain a world? And my first reaction was yes, but this is a video game. So that question is not germane. Uh, She's just, you know, very into the philosophizing. So Nanami calls Koichi, who is sitting on a park bench, and she's like, hey, why aren't you logging in to look for Sarah? 
And he's like, I have something to do real quick. I'll do it as soon as I'm done. And he's like, yeah, that the developer Let said- Let me flashback. About how she was made and transferring her to a hard disk. I will admit, I, I think I know what they're going for here. And I kind of expected it. So he's like, if so if she was created from people's feelings for Gumpla, then I have to see someone. I love how he talks to Nanami like he's already in the middle of this, but he has just decided to do it. I think he was planning on doing this anyway. This is just like him finalizing the decision. He was working it out in his head and he's gotten to it. And he's like, okay, so yes, this is what I have to do. I think this is how this has to be solved. Riki looks for Sarah over a desert, but she is in a forest with Maul sadly following her. And she's like, go away. I don't love you anymore. Maul standing for Riku. Well, it's kind of what that is. This is the kind of scene you see when it comes to like, yes, I love this person, but I can't be with them because I'll place them at risk type of thing. I see this as Sarah just sees Maul as like genuinely a living pet creature and wants her to be okay, which tracks for Sarah because Maul is as real as anything can be to her. I agree with you. It's just, this is also a scene we see a lot in a lot of stuff like this, so... That's why I made fun of the uh, go-away dog scene. Oh, Gumpla are going over the forest, and she's like, oh man, I have to hide. Tucks herself in under a tree, which, as good a place to hide as any, but of course it starts raining again. Yeah, well, symbolism. Also, Kira and Atherin have to fight. And she's like, oh, I want to see you, Riku, and everyone, but I decided to run away, so I can't. And she hears somebody coming close to her, and it's Kiyoya. Ominously. The champ is here! Well, he says, hey, I didn't mean to scare you, but I figured if I followed the administration machine, I'd find you. I will admit, I wasn't entirely sure what he was doing here when he, when he, like, it first showed up. Yeah, it's suitably tense, right? Because like we talked about last week, we don't know whose side he's on yet. Yeah, because it hadn't made it clear as to which side Kiyoya was actually going to be on. So, like, having him appear and right then is a tense moment or about as tense as the series ever gets. And he says, I'm not going to hand you over to them. And he doesn't seem like he would lie, especially if like, I just want to talk. But it's not impossible still. And he's like, so you understand what's going on, right? What do you want to do? Cut to that old abandoned garage. Sukasa is there. Is this where Sukasa lives? <laughs> no, because later in just a bit here, he says, you call me out to a place like this. Well, it starts with, what are you doing here? And Koichi, who is there, is like, I need your help. And he's like, I'm skeptical. And he's like, there's something that only you and I can do. A couple of random early 20-somethings, I guess. Hey, they have a particular set of skills. It's because of their GP dual skills. I do like how he leads into with the bow and says, a life is at stake. That's technically true. And to be fair, I can totally believe Tsukasa is the most adept person for this. No, I definitely agree with you. It's And the fact that Koichi is saying a life is at stake, he believes Sarah to be be a living person, just a different type of living person. So the fact that he says a life is at stake, it's just super dramatic the way he says it. See, unlike the GM, he did watch Gundam Seed, so he understands that othering other people is bad. And Tsukasa is like, well, I'm still skeptical. Tsukasa looks perpetually exhausted slash evil. He's constantly palpatining it. He shot lightning at uh, Samuel L. Jackson, so now he just always looks like that. He's just like uh, Koichi. Koichi looks perpetually tired, but a good... But the good guy in Tsukasa is perpetually tired, but a bad guy. Do we think the prequel series about Tsukasa and Koichi is better than Gundam Build Divers? <laughs> and why they're always perpetually tired like this? <laughs> yeah. And especially if there was if there was like a rivalry between the two at some point. Because we do know that Tsukasa built his own. But Koichi, from what it presented earlier, 
built a lot of the, or helped build a lot of the gunpla for the people that were on the team. My reading is actually that Koichi built Tsukasa's as well. It's just Tsukasa eventually took over from that because eventually Koichi quit. My read is that when they were on the same team, they were building together. The, the way it was presented initially was that Koichi was the last one to leave. That's true. Tsukasa was the last one to leave. He left Koichi alone. Presumably to go start palpatining. Greek is like, hey, what's the Gumpla doing out here in this video game? Who would be out here in this desert? And we get a dramatic pan up of a big red mobile suit. Is that the Master Gundam's head? It is the Master Gundam's head. It is primarily a Gundam Pisalis, though. Looks like it's got the Master Gundam, uh, like, cape wings. I kind of love its dumb club. Well, I think the club is a club off of the Dark Army. It looks pretty heavily modified, but I do think you're right. So anyway, this rams into Riku, and he's like, what's your problem, man? And he's like, fight me! Hunger! Vor! How did you not recognize the dude? He's flying the same color mobile suit. He's in the antagonist mobile suit colors. It couldn't be anybody else. Yeah, it's not like Char would be super popular among players of this game, and there would be tons of red mobile suits. We haven't seen any other ones! And Riku's like, Ogre, why would you attack me suddenly? This is so unlike you. To be fair, it kind of is. I feel like this is exactly how their first fight started, too. The thing is, like, he didn't initially start attacking Riku. He started attacking Riku after the fight had gone on. Like, he didn't just jump Riku. He was there to meet with somebody else as part of a fight. Like, he'd been challenged. That's what he was doing there in the first place. True. But then he was like, oh, Riku, I should fight you. And Riku was like, what is your problem, man? So Ogre levels his gun club at Riku and is like, hey, why did you withdraw from the matching battle? And Riku is like, um, the depression. Ain't nobody got time for that. I really question Ogre's motives here in a way that I like, in a way that I like think is an interesting question. I'm not entirely sure of his goal. Like He wants to fight Riku, that's true. But it also seems like throughout this fight, he's trying to provoke Riku into making a choice. Yeah, I wonder if he's intentionally being as heel as he can to provoke Riku like that, or if he actually thinks that Riku is a cheater and is trying to determine it, or if it's kind of both. I I kind of read it as kind of both. I think it is a little bit of both, because, like, it is an honest question. She's creating all of these bugs, she's always been with them when they're fighting, so by that logic, doesn't it kind of imply that Riku's been cheating the entire time? Yeah, and also he goes hard on them, because it starts out, he doesn't even get to that point. He starts out with like, hey, is she important to you? And Riku's like, of course. And then he says the very heel thing of, hey, she's just an electronic life form, she's not even real. But then he goes on to like, and she's creating bugs just like the break decals. So like all this time that I've seen you as a worthy rival, have you been cheating? Because you know I hate that. And the fact that Riku has grown so fast as a player, I can see where the logic tracks. Yeah, and like I said, I think this creates interesting stakes. Because if Riku loses here, presumably Ogre dismisses him as a cheater. Because he does say, you better not be lying. Yeah. I mean, Riku does lose this fight. I feel like it's a draw. Uh, Riku's in bits. Ogre's still standing. I'm going to have to go with Ogre wins. Although we're getting ahead of ourselves. And Riku's like, I would never cheat. And Ogre's like, prove it, bro. That the raw power of your gunpla isn't fake. And Riku's like, I do not have time. I have to search this desert where she isn't. But yeah, it can't fight without a girl. It just seems like he's being super heel to provoke him. Uh, he then does the shark kick, and they get some cool close combat. Riku creates some distance, but his wings have beams in them. Then it gets clubbed to the ground anime style. I do love how imposing and physically powerful Ogre's Gumpla seems. I, I think it's a little bit too beefy for my tastes, but I do love how it is just the super imposing thing. 
I agree on like a, when we rank it all mobile suits, but as a mobile suit ogre would bill for a heavy rival character, I think it's perfect. Yeah, it's very ogre. Well, and it is a direct contrast to the 00 Sky, because the 00 Sky is very, like, it's slender, it's nimble, it looks more like a dex fighter, whereas, like, if you're looking at ogres, and I'm using the nerdiest possible descriptions, whereas the ogres look like, that is a strength con build right there. That is, I don't take if I, I don't care if I take a hit, because all I need to do is hit you once. I take you hate your street cred, Zach. D&D is not that nerdy anymore. So Riku blocks a big strength hit by using his wings of light, but Ogre is like, not enough, not enough, not enough, and breaks I do like it. how he kicks him in the face. Yep. Look, he watched Char fight. He knows kicks are the best. He needs to level up to those Kira fights and just start dropping shields on people, but... <laughs> no, see, Jeremy, that would require Ogre carrying a shield. True. And it's quite clear that Ogre likes pure offense. Why would I carry a shield when I could carry another sword? And then Ogre's like, yes, you're savorless. I can't even chew on you. And then he says something that's not really, it, it's the rival character thing of how dare you aim for the top with such pathetic skills. You're not going to get anything. You're not even shown enough to protect a little girl. That's where the motivation, like the question really comes in because he says you can't uh, protect anything like that. Are you trying to motivate him? And again, especially our headcanon version of Ogre who's super into the roleplay. Just seems like he's getting super into this Char role. I guess not even Char. This is like even more generic anime rival role. I wonder if Ogre really knows what he's going for here. Yeah, it's certainly possible that he's not sure either. The only thing he's sure of is that he wants to fight Riku. And he's like, don't talk bad about my Gumpla that I learned about from other people. I mean, that is exactly the kind of thing that you would expect on it. Because it's like, I built this by learning from everybody I know. Yeah, and it creates an interesting bit of not dramatic irony, but like we know that Riku did not cheat to build this Gumpla and that he worked hard for it, but Ogre genuinely doesn't. And he's like, prove it, bro. I do love this little bit where he just fires the gun from the hip and Ogre dodges and destroys it. Did he actually get the gun? Because it looked like he shot the other side of it. Yeah, the big gun. And Riku's like, fine, I will reverse grip my sword. That looks cool as hell. And also I have my Trans Am. They do decide to go for a shot of Sarah's necklace that Riku has wrapped around his wrist as an accessory uh, for this, which I like visually, but I think it's a bad choice when Ogre's like, hey, are you cheating with that little girl's powers? That the moment where he turns around is the little girl's powers. Yeah, and the show's like, yes, he is. This is where I was wondering about, like, he installed that specific mode switch for close combat. Yeah, it would have been cool to see some of that. This would be the perfect time for that, but they just don't do it. It makes me think that they just didn't want to acknowledge it again because that would have cost money to animate. Yeah. I don't think now's the time to do it. I think earlier when they were on the ground fighting would have been the time to use it. Well, I think now is the time to do it as well because that's in theory when his, that's for mobility in close combat. He doesn't have any ranged weapons anymore. I just feel like air close combat, that mode is not useful because they talked about center of gravity and stuff. And this is going to be a dramatic Dragon Ball fight in the air. Fair enough. But Ogre counters with his own Trans Am, and they Dragon Ball at each other for a bit. It, it is called Ogre Trans Am, by the way? Yeah, gotta get your branding on it, Zach. Riku gets a cross counter, though. And Ogre's like, what are you gonna do after you rescue her, even? And Riku's, uh, you're gonna hand her over to the administration? And they get into a... The only thing that can describe this is a slobber knocker. They're not dodging, they're just beating the ever-living shit out of each other. Yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite fights out of Yu Yu Hakusho. We went out of, into our high mobility modes and our high power modes only to just stand and take it. I mean, you can't really dodge when you're grappling like that, though. They do 
eventually make distance from each other using their small arms, which I like. Uh, Riku fires his Vulcans to create distance, and Ogre responds with the beams that are in the wings. I actually really like that shot because Ogre flips open the beams in his wings, so Riku uses his beam Vulcans to get that distance to get his shields in the way. Yeah, it looks real good. While Ogre is like, you just gonna stall for time till she destroys GBN? Huh? Is that your win con? We, we get a uh, Dragon Ball style, like, two energy waves just bouncing off of each other for a bit. It's very reminiscent of his fight with Tsukasa, actually. And Ogre's like, oh man, this is the good shit. Yes. You added some salt to this meal. The expression on his face when it shows that part is just great. Yeah, he is mega into this. They go back to ground, which also might be a good place for the um, close combat mode, but instead he uses his finishing move that he learns. So, and that also makes sense for here. His special move. Which, have they named his special move yet? We didn't see him name it. They just don't say it here either, which is why I was wondering. Ogre is like, I also have a special move. It's Darth Maul as hell. Badass, like, double-bladed lava saber. So, I am gonna ask, does this move work if he's not on a place where he can create lava? Like, can he do this in space? I assume he can just create lava there. I'm not sure, because they both specifically landed in order to do this. You know, and there are asteroids in space, Tyler. I love that they have the, like, cut-in facing each other screen, and Ogre licks his lips. It's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be cool as hell when we clash. So we get the charging at each other creates huge explosion crater. And I actually really like when they use, like, that black and white kind of almost sketch style to basically show a character getting wiped out because they go with that for Riku in that case. And I always like that minimalist style there. It looks pretty good. So we cut to Avalon Castle at night where Sarah is just in the banquet room. Jeremy, point of order, I'm pretty sure Avalon Castle is always at night. I don't think it has a day cycle. I swear we saw it in the day once. I don't think we've ever seen it a day. I don't think we have. And Kyoyu's like, hey, do you want to talk to Riku or anyone? I hear they've been searching for you. And she's like, well, I did just say I want to, but I actually don't. So Yeah, Kyoyu's like, I'm trying to figure out a way to that lets you live and coexist with everybody. I haven't gotten anything yet, but I have a smart secretary, so I'm one step ahead of Riku. This is very much in keeping with Kiyoya because I think the way he looks at this is that she is part of GBN, so she's part of the thing he wants to keep alive and protect. Yeah, we know that in his book, as long as you like a Gundam, you're okay. And he's like, well, you don't dislike Gundam, so I have to at least try. But then, speaking of secretary, she here and it's like, hey, Captain, the Game Master and Captain Rommel are here. Well, I, I love how Kiyoya is like, we don't have much time, but the solution can be found. And then Secretary's like, they're here. Well, to be fair, Kiyoya's going to play it off. Like, what are you guys doing here? And they're immediately like, we're not fucking idiots. We can tell where she is. And he's like, well, I was really hoping that Miss Tori would have stopped that since you couldn't figure it out before. I do love how Rommel has coffee. Yeah, he probably insisted the moment he got in. Or he brought it himself so he can put his <laughs> whiskey in it. So the first thing Rommel says after Kiyoya asks what brings you here is hand her over. And the GM's like, yeah, we're not idiots. I am the eye of God. I can see everyone you talk to. Hand her over, and Kyoya insists, like, give me some time. I can fix this. But Rommel's like, I ain't falling for that shit. I'm a cute ferret. You can't out-cute me. I know all about cute tricks. <laughs> and he's like, you know, you've met her, Rommel. You know she's a person. And he's like, yes, but then if you're going to protect her, what was the point of fighting a bunch of idiots with break decals? 
And Kiryo's like, oh no, I didn't realize the kind of similarity. And Rommel suggests that Kiyoya, by protecting Sarah, is doing the exact opposite of what they fought against in the beginning. Which, like, he's not inherently wrong. But the motivation definitely comes from a different place for each of them, is I think what this demonstrates. It's, dare I say it, conflict between two characters. Well, we get an immediate thing after that of like, you know, I'm begging you hand her over. There's clearly respect here. Rommel isn't just being a heel for the sake of being a heel. Here, He genuinely believes this. Well, he even then launches into his motivations, which are interesting if wild, where he's like, hey, there are disabled people who can only really function in GBN. Which, like, that's probably the best example as to why this is a thing that needs to stay around and why people care about it so much. It's just so wild that this alternate reality thing is also a Gundam game, right? Like, you have to accept that as the premise going in. So I'm not exactly, like, against it, but I feel like we shouldn't be introducing this now. We should have gotten some of this before, or Rommel should have had this discussion before. Make it as, like, a, a earlier thing where it's, like, full-fledged virtual reality type of deal. Yeah, like I've said, I think some people live in GBN, and this is like the closest to confirmation we get of that, right? It's implied in certain spots, but the way their headgear looks, it doesn't really appear to be like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's just, you have to accept that as much as the technology does not look like it should be that immersive. We have seen multiple times they feel wind and such. that They can feel the ocean when they go swimming. I wonder if Rommel is one of the people who's like that, because he says my team has people who live with such hardships. Yeah, I think that is a implication they are trying to get again it's weirdly subtle huh this is why he chose to be a ferret and he's like yeah there's nowhere else for them to go but they can be who they want to be here they're not handicapped maybe it's just me being kind of cynical i feel like most people are who are in that situation are the only people who are actually going to really acknowledge it and care whereas your normal individual is not gonna give two dams also though if you have someone very close to you personally who's like that yeah that's true but like usually unless there's something directly affecting you most people won't think about that but yeah i also read this the first time as oh i think rommel is probably that way and he's like yeah there, there are lots of people so like don't take gbn away from them please hand her over people don't invest countless hours here for nothing and he says you could call it a part of their lives and i'm like i call league of legends and wow a part of my life but if those shut down that's kind of it yeah, on the other end, though, I think his presentation is like, I can prevent that. And then Rommel goes to the thing, even if she's innocent, like, I, I'm willing to sacrifice her for that. Like, one life against many, to me, is a fair deal. And Sarah, at this point, is like, okay, yeah, I, I also agree with that logic. Yeah, like, I, I looked at it, and I'm like, I can't really say you're wrong sacrificing one for many. The only kicker here is that it's a video game. I, I don't feel right about sacrificing a life to preserve a video game. I agree with that. And also, like we've pointed out, the other problem is that no one is trying to come up with a different solution. They're all immediately like, well, I guess murder is the only uh, way we can solve this. They're like a D&D &D party. <laughs> anyway, Sarah's like, yes, I am the waif, so I will Jesus this and sacrifice myself for other people's happiness. I do like how after she says that, Rommel's eyes narrow like, you're making this really difficult, girl. Even though she's literally not. Not difficult as in, I can't believe oh. this is going to be so hard to drag you up there. Like more emotionally as, difficult? Yeah, m emotionally or morally difficult. Like, or it's much easier if I can try and distance myself from you as a person, but you, act, you being here and doing this makes it much more difficult for me. So cut back to Riku, who has got all sorts of hazards and errors. His armor bad. Armor bad, yes. My favorite is paint damage. I like error cool. 
we will see that again. It's I think it's cooling system or cooler that that is cut off on the screen. There is actually a full thing there. We will see from another angle. But yeah, so basically everything's broken. Yep. And he's like, "Please move. I'm trying to show you into movement." Double O Sky, I believe in you. It's just a video game. But Ogre, who's got uh, half his head and one of his wings cut off, looms over him. So I get the impression that Ogre hit Riku pretty much dead on, but managed to dodge or deflect Riku's strike over his shoulder like that. Yeah, that tracks. And Ogre's like, I take back what you said. You have real skills. You are the real deal. And this is what I've been logging for. Ah, this battle tasted so good, but it's time to end. I do love how... Ogre also has all kinds of hazards around his cockpit, although hazard unknown is a little weird. <laughs> it's like, we know something's broken. Not sure what it is. He has an FC error. I have no idea what that is. Riku's got some TMP warnings, which I assume is temperature. It looks like Riku got a good chunk of the frontal armor off of Ogre's mo- battlesuit as well. Or Gundam, sorry. I'd- and Ogre here goes full Shonen Rival and is like, if there's something you want, then show me your determination or it'll end here. And we see his... Gumpla is damaged enough that it's moving slowly. And Riku's like, oh man, if I lose to Ogre, I won't be able to see Sarah. It's not like I can just respawn and keep searching for her. And Ogre will probably be satisfied after this. See, the thing is, I can't help but wonder, like, if you're if his Gundam is totally destroyed, would there be like a time frame in which before it because we saw it rearming earlier. I guess we've seen it in repair before, huh? That would be good to establish, because that's also stakes. He might have to like Grab a rental gumpla and search for Sarah with that. Uh, anyway, he keeps seeing Sarah's name. We get a close-up of her necklace on his wrist as he grits his teeth. And then her ghost tells him not to give up or he hallucinates it. Hard to tell. I think he hallucinates it because it's very similar to when she told him not to give up earlier in a different moment in yeah. the series. So I do like that he like fires the thrusters to move his arms and does the overhead sword catch. It looks like he engages his wings, the wings of light. Which are on the shoulders. So that makes sense as a way to move them. So he does the sword catch and breaks it. Then he gets punches and he he has the high ground. Speaking of Mustafar. Screaming about how he's never going to give up as your typical shonen protagonist. But Ogre still has wing cannons. And he's like, yeah, and I love that you don't know when to quit. I love Riku just tackling him through a rock. Yeah, well, I love how base this is, right? They can't do the flashy maneuvers anymore. So it's all just about slamming weight into each other. We're back to Slobberknocker. But he does have a beam saber. And he's like, I'll never give up no matter what people say about me trying to destroy GBN. And his, like, the double O sky is totally fucked right now. He's missing an arm. His head's gone. But yet he still manages to slap his beam saber towards Ogre, who blocks it with his palm and then has an orgasm. He's having so much fun. <laughs> and then he explodes all over Riku. Uh, but Riku has knee guns that I don't think we've seen before that he strikes I back with. I think they're the same type of things with the shields. Yeah, I think it's the thing that he kicks. They're in this big battle between the two of them where the winner take all and neither one is walking away from this in one piece. And then we get an emergency broadcast. It's just like I was talking about last week about how immersion breaking it would be if like there was just suddenly the servers went out here. <laughs> Do you imagine the blue balls on Ogre if that happened? <laughs> And uh, anyway, it's Kiyoya. He's like, hey, emergency broadcast time. And Ogre is like, what is this shit? He's like, anyway, we're reassembling the coalition of volunteers. And it should be noted the credits have started during this whole announcement. Yeah. And Rommel's like, to eliminate the L-Diver, we're going to work with the administration, and we already have her in custody. See, here she is. Look how adorable she is. Then they march her out in the stocks. She is not literally chained up and tied, but with her body language, it looks that way. Well, Secretary kind of has her by the shoulders. 
Yeah. Uh, we flash back to Rommel compromising with Kyoya, and he's like, hey, what if we just reassembled the coalition to keep her in custody? You know, we don't want her to run when she has already volunteered to sacrifice herself, so I guess we need to guard her. But if we can figure something out before the patch is done, then we'll do that, and we won't give her to the administration. And the GM's like, what? This is not what we agreed to. And Rommel's like, I am altering the deal. Pray I do not alter it further. This is part of why I was thinking that when she volunteered, I think Rommel decided that this is what we'll do um, after she volunteered, because if she's willing to do it, then we should take the time to try and find a way to fix it without killing her. And at the same time, Rommel doesn't want to kill her if he doesn't absolutely have to. And this is also why I was thinking that they might think that if she dies in-game, she dies just generally because he says, we'll protect her using any means necessary. I think he's referring to like other players trying to whack her to take out the bugs and save GBN or make themselves think they're saving GBN. It's just the GM does not seem happy about this compromise, which is why I read it as protect from the administration. It might be both. It does again bring up the idea of why do they need her in custody when they apply the patch? It should not matter where she is unless they need to apply the patch directly to her forehead. <laughs> I read it as, like, to prevent bugs from occurring in unknown locations. It's just Avalon Castle be buggy for a while. Or it's just a matter of administration in this game being incompetent. Well, we know that. So, cut to the rest of Build Divers, minus Koichi, who are also watching this announcement. And is like, I have one wish, which is to save GBN. Also, in the lobby, we see Maggie and Patrick Colasar, who almost missed his cameo this episode because he fell asleep. But he woke up in the middle of the <laughs> night and rushed to the lobby in his pajamas and sleeping cap to make sure he could make it in. It's the credits, but he's here. I love this one. He looks so sleepy, too. So it cuts back to Riku, the double sky falling apart with him on his knees. He is, at this point, kind of given up, it seems. Although it ends on him giving an angry scream, so who knows. Uh, Ogre is still standing, I guess. I don't so much think he actually gave up. I think more a matter of the double sky just finally reached its limit. I think symbolically, though, the idea is that he is at his wit's end, and that is why. He doesn't know that Kiyoya and Rommel are working on a compromise to help her. The credits are over. Hey, cut back to that shed where they mention L-divers again. And it, it's Tsukasa. Yeah, now Tsukasa is repeating what was just told to him. And he's like, man, sounds like a bad sci-fi movie. Also, this plan isn't exactly like you, Koichi. Applying, Applying a, a break, break decal, decal in, in real, real life. life. What does that mean? And Koichi's like, well, I couldn't think of any other way. He's like, but if this goes right, we'll use your break decal and our GP dual skills. And then we get a cut off a close up of a girl Gumpla. And that's the end of the episode. Honestly, that's kind of what I figured that they would go with. Yeah. Only all of our play sites and toys can save a life. I also get the feeling like this is also the kind of thing that Tsukasa would agree to do just for the sole purpose of fucking with the administration of GBN. Yeah, exactly. Of like, oh man, that sounds great. Also, uh, if you could like breathe life into a doll, that also seems like the sort of thing Palpatine would get off on power trip wise. <laughs> I am God. I have created life in this world from nothing. Oh uh, yeah, so that's the end of the episode. I think pretty easily the best episode of Build Divers so far. I would agree with that. Yep, it had stakes, it had character motivations, there was conflict, it was mildly interesting the entire time. The fight was pretty good. And that's something that Build Divers has been pretty consistent with. I don't think it's as good as Gundam Seed in that regard, because I just think the gimmicks in Gundam Seed are really, really good. But it is better in that Gundam Seed has all those stock footage attacks, which Build Divers mostly manages to avoid. Well, in my opinion, one of the reasons why the fights in Gundam Seed are better is they did their homework. 
So the fights in Gundam Seed feel like they have more important stakes. Whereas in Build Divers, they might be better animated and more uniquely animated, but they don't always have the stakes or anything like that behind them. Well, that's absolutely true. But I think just taking the animation of the fights in Gundam Seed, that's also top notch. Like stuff, like I said, where Kira dropping his shield on that thing and that fight between Atherin and Kira. Like they do lots of cool things in those fights. Honestly, I like the fight between Kira and Atherin in the original where it's just stills. I think that had more power. Sometimes you can run out of money and still make it good. Yeah, do you have any other final thoughts stuff, Tyler? Nothing that I don't think that has already been said. It was just, like, actually a fun episode to watch. So, good job. It only took 21 episodes, Bill Divers. Do you have a high point, Tyler? I'm actually gonna say the entire conversation between Kiyoya and Rommel. There's, like, actually some conflict there. There's, like, an interesting idea proposed by Rommel. Like, Kiyoya's clearly conflicted. I just like that whole scene. Zach? I think I'm gonna go with kind of the obvious one. I'm gonna go with Ogre through this episode. Ogre was actually really good in this episode, because as we talked about on here on the episode it's hard to determine exactly what he's going for but it really seems like he's got the honorable rival slash heel slash kind of betrayed friend or betrayed honorable rival thing going on and motivational thing so i think that's gonna be mine what's your high point jeremy i mean ogre's motivation was going to be mine so i suppose with that taken and the rommel kiyoya scene taken i'll just take the fight it's good that's a pretty wide high point the the fight was gonna be mine but it seemed like it was too wide because it's like half the episode. Do you have a low point, Tyler? I think it's actually the meeting between the GM and Miss Tori. Yeah, that's what I was going to go for, too, uh-huh. actually. Because that just feels like denying the premise. Yeah, I, I just think they could have done a lot more with that scene and like establish a bit more of a nuanced vision. Like maybe the GM's actually conflicted and he's doing this because his livelihood's on the line or something. Like, I don't know. They could have done more. It feels so weird that they'd make the GM such a heel, right? Like, because they have Rommel in the nuanced position. So I guess it makes sense to have the GM be even, like, the further position of she's not real. But, like, if he had a better argument to that, like, I just don't think it's very good. Anyway, sorry. I, I'm taking over your low point because it was going to be mine. <laughs> Zach, do you have a low point? It's really difficult because that was kind of the obvious one. I think I might have to go with the scene outside Gundam base. And that's not like, oh, this was such a terrible scene or anything like that. It's just a scene that is not it, it doesn't feel quite as well done because yes the uh, the three get together and vow to continue doing what they're already doing yeah it shows a little bit because it's like you said it's not like it's a bad scene because it shows that they are constantly thinking about this but it makes the scene in class redundant so that's what i'm gonna take actually that classroom seems seems so weird because we've never seen them in class really and Like I said, I think the scene at Gundam base establishes the same thing much better. You don't really need both. I think you need the nightmare to establish why Riku goes to the Gundam base. But you're right. You don't really need the classroom scene. All right. Do we want to add a Gunpla to our Gundam list? It's been a while since we have. We still have the 00 Sky, and I don't think it's going to show much more. But I actually think that we've seen everything that Ogre's Gundam GP Raise 2 has, if we want to add that to the list here. I was actually going to ask if we wanted to add Ogre's. Ogre's makes sense. I think it's way better than the Ogre GNX, his previous ride. Yeah, especially as a suit for Ogre. I really like it a lot better. It's also got a lot more tricks. I like the stupid wing things seem really versatile. I like the club. I think I have to agree with you. He's still got his two uh, twin Smickitars. For when the club gets blown up super early in the fight. The only thing we got with similar weight above the GNX is the Calamity Gundam. I think I have to go with the Calamity Gundam because I like heavy firepower. What are your thoughts, Tyler? Because I can really go either way on it. 
Yeah, so I do like the Calamity's color scheme a lot yeah, more. Yeah, that's fair. Um, because just red is just red. Um, that said, I think I like the rays too a bit better. I don't know. I like how versatile it is. Like, it's definitely not as high firepower, but I'm a sucker for a melee spec, so. I feel like role-wise, the GP2 is a little more. Like, the Calamity is very one-dimensional, and that's not to say the Raze 2 isn't, because it's very melee-focused. It just feels like it has a little bit more. Like, it's a little broader, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense that the Calamity's kind of one note. It's designed as a heavy firepower artillery suit. It's not supposed to do anything else. It's a specialist design. I just think that, for me, that puts the Raze 2 above. Even though I do like specialist designs. Because the Calamity is not my favorite specialist design, nor our highest ranking one. Uh, speaking of a generalist design, how do we think it compares to the Ale Strike? Because I just feel like the Ale Strike is a lot cleaner. It's a little generic, but I think I like it more than the GP2. I think I would personally agree with you, Jeremy. I think the GP2, or the Ogre's new suit, is uh, a little worse than the Ale Strike. In part because of how thick it is like its legs are really big and it just feels squat and like i don't really care for that as gundam designs go it, it feels too heavy whereas the ale strike is much more normal gundam it's almost as normal as you can get right yeah it feels more like oh yes i could definitely see this thing working whereas ogres is like well that's gonna destroy some water mains <laughs> Do you have any thoughts, Tyler? I do think I slightly prefer Ogre's Machine just because it is so ridiculous. But the, I don't know, it's pretty close toss-up for me, so, and I'm already outvoted. So, uh, How do we think it compares to the Savior Gundam? Similarly bad color schemes. I'm kind of the Savior Gundam guy, but I, hmm, I would way rather pilot the Savior Gundam or play it in a video game. It's way more my style, but... There's something I appreciate of the thickness about the GP Raise 2 we were just talking about that I think I like a little bit more. Give me the Raise 2. The Savior Gundam has that damn transforming gimmick. And weirdly, I'm actually more into the Savior here, especially like seeing them side by side in like approximately the same color palette. I do think the Savior's colors are better. We all know my personal feelings when it comes to transforming mobile suits. So the final question becomes, is it better or worse than the Gwen from Code Geass? Another very bulky... I gotta give it to the Gawain because, like, it's got that whole Anubis aesthetic to it. I think the color palette's a lot better. I like the fact that the Gawain is a two-seater. I think I actually have to agree. Like, the Gawain feels a little over-designed in a way that I actually kind of like. Um, it's definitely pretty close, but... Yeah, I was going to say I like the GP2 more, but looking at the Gawain again, I think its color palette actually puts it over for me, because I also agree it's very close. I think the main problem with the color palette for the GP Race 2 is that it's all red. It's got a little black in there, but not enough, right? And it's got two shades of red, but that doesn't create enough contrast. So the GP Race 2 goes at number 21, above the Savior and below the Gwen. And that'll do it for this episode. Join us next week when we watch episode 22, Devoted Heart. Tyler, was this Gundam or was this Isekai? Uh, I think this episode was Gundam as heck. All right, Zach. I would agree. We've got two people yelling at each other about how they're never going to give up. So, and we got a true, as I, I love the phrase, slobber knocker of a fight. Not to mention some people arguing whether or not some people are humans or if we can just <laughs> murder them and it's fine. I always forget that's a hallmark of Gundam. All right. Have a great week, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Bye.